join Beer Edge for our first live event, Inspired by Beer, an evening with Tommy Arthur of the Lost Abbey and Port Brewing. During this Boston-area tasting, listen in as Tommy discusses beers that have inspired him in his brewing career, plus drink a few of his own creations. The fun happens on January 30th. Find tickets and more information at BeerEdge.com. I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Ashley Carter and Bill I of the Beerstadt Lager House in Denver. Done. We made this... We only did it because we want to. I never want to feel forced into making anything. So Bill and I got this wild hair up our ass, and we're like, you know what? We already made Bach beer this year. I don't really feel like making Doppelbach. Let's make something else. So we basically made Mertzen, and then we used, what is it, reiterative mash, iteration mashing, whatever. I, the kids have a fancy word for it, I'm sure. Okay. Iteration mash. And we mashed in another Mertzen after we ran off, so we mashed it to the wort. <laughs> Okay. So we made like a 35 Play-Doh. Like, I don't even know. We just call it Big Fucking Lager or Nightmare Sauce or whatever it is. Our full conversation is coming up next. But first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. I've known the folks behind the brewery since almost back to when it opened in 2007. And over the years, I've had the chance to visit Tampa during their annual Hunapu Day Festival. Yes, it's a day of big imperial stouts, but it's also a chance to try beers from around the country poured by the brewers themselves. I know we're living in an age of small boutique beer gatherings, but there's still a lot of fun to be had at the big festivals, and Hunapu should be on your list. Mark your calendar for March 13th, 2020 at the Amelie Arena in Tampa. There'll be over 100 breweries from far and wide, and it's a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall. And I love lagers, especially well-made ones. And I haven't been shy about my bias for the crisp, malt-forward, slightly spicy hopped lagers and pilsners. And one of my favorite places to imbibe them is at the Beerstadt Lager House in Denver. Tradition is the rule of the house at the brewery, just down the road from Coors Field. And Ashley Carter and Bill I, the owners and brewers, spent a career brewing the beers that other people wanted. So when they opened up their doors a few years ago, they decided to focus on what they wanted to drink. And that can be a tough sell for some beer consumers who walk into a brewery and expect to get an IPA or stout or something from a barrel. For others, it's nice to walk in and know that you can get a mug of Hellas or a slow pour Pilsner. There are seasonal lagers that show up a few times a year and some collaborations as well, and those converge into the hoppier territory, but still they never really break the IBU scale. I visit the brewery whenever I'm in Denver, and during big events like the Craft Brewers Conference or the Great American Beer Festival, it's not unusual to see brewers from around the country lining up for lagers. Most will, at some point, shake their head in disbelief that a small brewery can survive on just lagers, and others will wistfully say that they wish that they could do something similar. For Carter and I, there is no other way, and in this conversation recorded at their brewery in early January of 2020, they're open to saying that this is this is the only concept that they want to do. It's this or nothing at all. They don't want to go back to working in a brewery that doesn't match their passion. Here's our conversation. What's the current state of lager as you see it 
in the country right now? I think the current state of lager, first of all, it's really nice to hear you give it the credit that it deserves. I was actually recently in Oklahoma on a panel and one of the... By choice? <coughs> yeah. Okay. Man, but it was actually, you know what? Don't knock Oklahoma City. It was no, dope, been, man. It's, it was it's a, cool, it's a cool city. You I know what I didn't have to do? I didn't have to wait in line for ramen. That was neat. Okay. Yeah. Sure, it's the little things. Yeah, it's the little yeah. things in life. A um, bunch of really rad people I met out there. But anyways, I was on a panel about lager, and I actually got asked a question. And it was funny because Bill was actually in Munich at the time. He asked a question on this panel about how brave it is to make lager because it's like a dying style. And I just like visibly laughed, and I was like totally not a dying style. Like I don't know what you think about dying styles, but pretty, pretty much 9 out of 10 of people – are actually drinking lager still. So I really appreciate you giving it, you know, the credit that it deserves. Well, I think it does. Yeah. Um, As far as the state of lager in the United States right now, I guess um, I think there's some really interesting things and cool things and also uh, some things that kind of make me sad about it. And it's kind of the, not the dumbing down of lager, but everybody just now wants to put lager on their menu and I just don't think it's like having a kettle sour and calling it a sour, right? There's a lot of lager out there that isn't lager and people just say lager. We have a Hellas lager ale hybrid and you're like, okay, so you made a blonde ale and you wanted to call it a Hellas cause that sounds better and lager sounds better. So I think that, um, I'm happy for some of the people that I think it's good to, you know, finally be able to drink something on menus now, but it makes me sad. The people who just put it, on the menu and don't really give it the respect that I think that it deserves just like any other style does, you know, anytime you shortcut a style or, or tell somebody it's something it's not, uh, you kind of do the industry disservice in general because you're not educating people about what it is they're drinking. My take's a little bit different. I, I see IPA drinkers trying to make lager, but they have a different take on the whole Thing, and we'll see whether they have the ability to transform lager, specifically Pilsner, like they did IPA, which now IPA doesn't necessarily mean a bitter beer, right? Yeah. I mean, it can now be loaded with lactose and barely have any IBUs at all. So I think American IPA brewers have taken the Pilsner and they've decided that it's just not good enough as it was. It now needs to go on a fooder or it now needs tropical hops or it now needs haze or it now needs it just can't stand on its own so we'll see because i've recently seen this west coast pills moniker and oh really that's that's actually new to me i've seen a a few people calling their beer a west coast pills which i think means hazy and dry hopped with inappropriate hops (laughs) i think that's what the definition (laughs) of west coast pills is it can be a good beer yeah but i think that by trying to remake these classic styles by trying to put a modern twist on them, I don't know that they do them any service. And actually, I don't know that they differentiate enough from the hoppy stuff that's out there to actually be that different. If you're going to drink a pills that's been pounded with dry hops at the end of it and has 55 IBUs, in what way is that markedly different than the IPA I just drank? So yeah. um, we'll see where that trend goes. So, did you want to jump back in? Are you? So I, I'm, I'm curious then, because there is... So much of what craft has been built on was let's change the status quo. You know, uh, the early guys would rail against the Reinheitsgebot just because it was an easy thing to, to identify. You know, like we're not going to be constrained by the government like that, <laughs> <clears throat> that kind of thing. Um, and then obviously it, it, it went from there. And, and when you look at the early beers that helped define 
American craft. I mean, Sierra Nevada Pale, I've said this on, on other shows before, though, 32 IBUs or 33 IBUs, something like that, was considered like, like a revelation at the time. I didn't know beer could be this bitter. And now it's, you know, so things have always been tinkered with. But how how do you counter then coming back to people with um, tradition? Like, how do you, how do you do you just try to stop that tide yourselves? Or is it like, hey, if you come here, you're not going to get that nonsense? I wouldn't even call it nonsense okay. necessarily. Um, and I'm not even trying to stop the tide. I just, uh, the craft moniker has always been one that we've struggled with a little bit here. Because honestly, a lot of people just don't think we're craft enough. Because the beer is, you know, extraordinarily consistent. It's always bright. Like, we don't tell people when we have new batches out because I don't think you should be able to tell the difference between one and another. I I think the hard part about it is just there's just not enough education behind any of it anyways. And right now, it's a very competitive market out there. And unfortunately, people are just focusing on trying to sell one beer instead of trying to make a beer drinker. And I th- think when they, when they, you know, put all these little... There's nothing wrong with these twists. There's nothing wrong with... Uh, new age hops or, or doing some of these things. It's just the idea of like, how are we educating the consumer to make a long-term beer drinker? And how are we going to help the health of this entire industry rather than just the health of your company for that one day? And I think that that's something that we, we struggle to kind of pull apart because, you know, you look at it and you go, we're not selling enough beer. How can we sell more beer? And maybe the quick answer is something kind of gimmicky or whatever, but the long-term answer is much more difficult and I think when, you know, we put like lager and craft and stuff like out there, you, you, you can't, it, everything's been done. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe not everything's been done. I've seen some no, things I, recently, no. but I mean, honestly, everybody's tried everything before. So I don't know why you don't want to focus on what it is that you, who you want to be, who you want to tell the world you are and, uh, you know, stand behind something you're proud of every single time. And the idea of consistency should be, uh, you know, quality should be synonymous with with quality in some ways unless i guess of course it's total hot garbage but sure um, which, which you know yeah. <laughs> which they are but like the consistency is as a moniker of like how how good or how the quality of something and we razz on some of the bigger breweries anymore but when was the last time you had you know a, a bad sierra nevada pale ale like i haven't had one like from the brewery right from, yeah, yeah like i just haven't had a bad one like it's they're great all the time and i think that's a moniker of of how good a brewery is and i like people to see that you know craft doesn't have to mean it looks handmade like my niece make you know she's six she can make craft all day but you know (laughs) just because somebody can make it look like a professional effort like it doesn't mean that it's a necessarily a bad thing so when you opened up uh which is what four years ago now 2016 okay three so three years ago um when you opened up, how much discussion was there on what you were going to serve regularly here at the brewery? Zero. We had already worked at another brewery. We had already knew what we were going to do, and we were going to sink or swim making the three beers we make. Which are? Pills, Hellas, and Dunkel. And that's it. And we make six to eight seasonals a year. Yeah. Nothing, anything. Well, actually, that's not true. We have something in the fermenter now that's <laughs> crazy trained, but nothing really too far off the reservation. Box and Merits and beers and things like that, but um, 
weirdly enough, we didn't really go chasing a market niche. We just went after the thing we love to make and brew. And we figured there would be enough people that thought the way we thought to support that. Were, were there worrisome moments like beforehand or was it was, only, was every, this fi- only every week when I have to make payroll? <laughs> <laughs> but, this, but this does strike me as sort of the field of dreams in a lot of way. Like if you make it, it'll uh, they'll come because I mean, I, I, at least every time I'm in town, I'm, I'm drinking here and there's other breweries that I probably should be visiting, but I I don't want to. <laughs> um, but I think I, it, I hear you want to nameplate on a chair. Uh, Lou, Bryce, that Lou Bryce. Yeah, I know. I saw that. that. I stalked I'm, you on Facebook I'm, before you were I'm, here. I'm so. all for it. Um, all right. You know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, now I lost my train of thought because my ego is taking over <laughs> by having a nameplate. Um, but like, have you found your tribe? Is there is there a logger tribe? Is there a like aside from what we all in the media or what we all as you know people who are in and around beer quite a bit like wish there would be like is there actually a I I think there is I mean the tribe is and it's for better or for worse people who don't want to necessarily think about the beer they're drinking and I and I like that a little bit, you know, like we put all this effort into it. We, you know, stress over it. You know, we worry about, you know, like yeast or whatever, like in the schedule and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, how it looks and how it's presented. And, you know, most people don't literally they, they don't. I wouldn't say everybody. Nobody cares. But it's kind of like our moniker. And nobody cares. Um, but at some point, you know, people want to drink a liter of beer. So they want to be- drink a beer as big as their head and they want to play games and they want to not be, you know, thrust upon them this whole like pinky out like craft beer thing that's going on. You know, that w- if you're not cool enough to be here, if you don't understand that somebody looks at you like, ugh, you don't know what mosaic is like, you know, like things like that. I've seen it before where people yeah. just they're rude to people uh, because they don't they don't know what's going on. Um and I also think that we're slowly finding people that, uh, you know, are like fell in love with lager and people want to come here and hopefully go lots of places. But I would honestly say we're more nationally known than we are in our own neighborhood. I don't think people even around the corner know anything about us, which is so bananas to me that I get calls from across the country from people that are like, oh, my God, you're amazing. Like, this is so great. Like, can you send me a glass? Like yada 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 I was there this one time like would you mind sharing these secrets with me and then you still like have people who walk upstairs and they're like oh you make beer here like it's very weird to like have both those things competing with each other my uh, good friend Jared Long um, in California says uh, what is it nationally known locally locally ignored ignored. (laughs) like that's our (laughs) um, that's kind of like our like inside joke here it's like that kind of thing (laughs) so when you do have generation, like a new generation of beer drinkers who have been brought up, who th- their first introduction was not Sierra Pale or even Heineken or Budweiser or any of the things that we all came up on, and you, you now have folks who are only drinking Other Half or Alchemist or you know whatever the Rare Barrel is putting out, or you know it, they're hitting these these breweries that are known and they've only been around for a decade or less uh, at this point. But they're also starting on, because uh, I want to talk about like, sort of like making a better beer drinker. They're starting on styles that are like well beyond where I think a lot of us were when we first started drinking, where we built up to that over time. And now, you know, they're 
getting on the elevator or, you know, at, at the eighth floor. And, you know, we all were down in the basement at, at, at some point. But if Lager is the base, how, how do you get people to, to come backwards? And, I, I, and backwards probably isn't the right word. But, like, but how do you get people to say, you know, like, no, this isn't barrel-aged. Or, you know, we didn't put Yuzu or, you know, shoot it into space for 20 minutes or, or whatever. This is just lager. Like, we've been drinking for centuries, and it's clean and fresh. And I think, and... Uh I like you, so I can criticize you. I yeah, think. please. Um, I think that it has to start with some of like changing the the way you just described the whole okay. thing. Okay, is there's not an elevator. You understand? There's, I have the edit yeah, control on exactly. this, so like yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I know you do. No, I'll keep Everybody, it. Everybody, it's all ke- here. I'll keep it in. Um, I think by saying that it's an elevator, that people like somehow feel like there's something to be achieved by doing these things. There's there's you know a bunch of breweries out there that say. You know, they, you were making pale ale and lager and all these things just to get somebody to come in their door so they could really show them what actual craft beer is. And maybe this is just what you want to drink. And I think that by putting these different levels on it and like, you know, you're not cool enough to drink this or you've got to achieve this level before you can achieve this level. I think that we 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 do all beer a disservice and we make people feel bad about what they're drinking or you're like look at them side eye because oh you disordered the pale ale like i mean things like that i think well are, that has no place in, in beer drinking as yeah far but as you know concerned. when you start talking about like these are levels to yeah. be achieved and they're starting out on level nine i actually disagree with that i think they're starting below you know what i mean they're not even drinking beer most of this is just fmb sure. or seltzer or whatever it is and you're not actually even making a beer drinker you're making somebody who would rather drink vodka soda or, you know, screwdrivers or whatever, you know, like Apple teeny, you know, which isn't a martini. Sure. Like you're training those people to be Apple teeny drinkers instead of martini drinkers. And so I think we have to bring the conversation back and not think of it as levels and think of it as, you know, what tastes good to you and are you trying to impress somebody or just drinking what you wanna drink? And if you wanna drink that, then drink that. And if you don't, then don't. And, you know, I hopefully find the people who will drink our beer. I don't know. I think a little bit of it's self-correcting in that you can have six Hellases. I mean, sure. I don't know that you can have six milkshakes. I, I, I don't think know if some, you want to. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think you can, and yeah. I don't think it pairs particularly well with food. So I think that some of this is just, look, I was 21. I didn't like alcohol-ish. I liked the effect of it. But after a while, you learn how to drink. And I'm not trying to insult anybody who's no, I, in their 20s. I'm just saying that it's not so weird that in a society that makes sure you're not allowed to drink before 21, that at 23, you're drinking basically a lactose-infused pineapple shake. And that tastes good. As I, at that age, I was drinking Amaretto Sour or something ridiculous that was slightly sweet. <laughs> we were and all there. I, yeah. mean, I mean, so I think that's kind of where it is. Dessert and, wine. He loves dessert wine. I do love dessert <laughs> wine. It's ridiculous. But uh, I don't know. If you take a look at the evolution of most brewers I know, they start off wanting something different, and so they they get to drink IPA, and then some of them foray into Belgian styles and really love sours. And but the strange thing is, and I don't know why it is, and maybe we're just hardwired to like yellow pale lager and drink a lot of it, eventually almost all brewers I know swing back around, no matter what they make. At the end of the day, when they're sitting down with their friends, they want to drink three pale lagers. Maybe we're just wired that way. I think we might be. Walk me through 
Because let's use this as a teachable moment then for, for folks who haven't gotten to this point. I'm drinking the hellas in front of me right now. You guys have slow pour pills in front of you right now. Uh, for the sake of what, what I have, because I want to talk about pills in, in, in another minute. What should I be tasting? What should I be experiencing? Ashley says it best, so I'll say it for her. <laughs> Not very much right now. In fact, until you're about three in, you shouldn't really notice it so much. At the end of your third half liter, you should go, wow, everything seems to be in balance. Nothing's sticking out. Nothing's fatiguing my palate. Because Hellas is a beer to drink in quantity. It's not a beer to sip. It's not a 12% barley wine that you want to contemplate your mortality over. It is something that you want to talk about your horrible job and terrible relationship over. And so you need to be able to drink three or four of them. And if it were too flavorful right now, a half liter in, three liters in, you don't want it anymore. And so I think what you should be tasting right now is, I wonder... You know, I wonder what it would taste like in another one or another one. I think you really have to have three of those beers before you can appreciate whether or not we got the balance right. And I would say that of anybody's lager. Have three of them and then decide. The first taste of Hellas is innocuous. It's not that memorable. Yeah. And that's on purpose. Yeah, I mean, Bill nailed it. I mean, the idea of your life existing... Like, we're, we're weirdos, we're brewers, we're people who talk about beer and spend our lives, like, thinking about it all the time. But yeah. for the regular person, like, that's not necessarily the case. And when you think about Hellas, it is the beer when you're, you know, sitting in a beer garden with 6,000 of your closest friends all drinking the same beer and just talking about whatever, anything. Like, it doesn't matter. This is just the fuel to, like, loosen you up a little bit and, and you know, when... Everybody goes, hey, you know, we're really enjoying this conversation. Another round. Like, we're not looking at the menu and deciding what else we want. Like, I want another one of those because it's the perfect beer for this moment, which is I'm not thinking about it. And it tastes great. It's not, like you said, not fatiguing, not overly bitter. And, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, a friend of ours, Eric Toft, uh, talks about how we should judge Hellas in a competition if it were possible, which I, like, love so much, <laughs> is that you should get all the judges in the room. They can't talk about uh, the beer. You put cases of every Hellas in there and let them talk about whatever else it is. And after an hour, you just count the empty bottles. And that should be the winner is the one where there's the most missing. That is genius. It's genius. That is the way you want uh, to think about Hellas. I want to judge that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I totally want to sign up to judge that. But that's how that's what we think about Hellas. That, that's a perfect example of what you should think about Hellas. How many of them can you drink before you just... You know, and it's, it's want to keep drinking it. It's a fairly simple recipe as well, right? I mean, you guys aren't monkeying around well past tradition. No, in fact, it's like probably more traditional than a lot of the ones even even made anymore in in Bavaria and in Germany. It's just a pills malt, a little acidulated, a little Vienna for color to darken it up compared to the pills. Although half the time I can't tell the difference, so I don't know why I keep doing it. Uh, Two, you know, two hops and a double decoction. And I think the decoction, you know, I listened to your podcast on with Dovetail. That's the other yeah, one I did. It was great. Fun. And Thanks. the decoction, I think, is part of what makes that beer. It helps balance that malt character. It gives you that malt character without, you know, leaving that cloying sweetness behind, which I think is the essence of Hellas. It's hard when I sit down with beer makers to not necessarily talk about the, the, the process. But you brought up this really interesting thing, though, of you know most of the people who come through here, unless it's during peak beer season or beer tourism season, they don't give a shit about the same things that 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 that, that we would talk about. No, no, they don't. 
at all. I don't think that's a negative. I really don't. Like anything. So if you were to purchase anything else, a loaf of bread, a, yeah. a handmade bobble, whatever. Yeah. Why should you have to think about? Sure. Yeah, why should, a handmade why, bobble. Yeah. What you, is that? What you is haven't that? been to it. You, you haven't, haven't. You don't have any bobbles. I don't know what that means. Oh, handmaids are the best bobbles. Yeah, they as are. Oh. That you <laughs> have any idea? <laughs> no, I'm. No anyway, idea. <laughs> you shouldn't have to think about the process by which it was created. You should either enjoy it or not enjoy it. And I really don't care. At the twenty-something downstairs, throwing giant bean bags at a giant cornhole set, and drinking a liter of Hellas, realizes that we sweat what temperature we knock it out at. That we measure exactly the amount of CO2 we pump into it. Uh, that we worry about the color and we we worry about the the mash schedule. I'm glad they don't have to think about that. I'm I wish they would just tip it up and make one simple decision: Do I want another one or not? That's honestly it for me. And that's what's worked. I mean, obviously, so far. I don't know. I hope it's <laughs> yeah, working. Yeah. No. Fake it till you make it. I guess. <laughs> no, but, but you guys are still here. I yeah, mean, that's good. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not rolling that. up the, the you know the stakes tomorrow chilling, or yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just think the idea of um, it. And I'll go back to it again. Like, of just a professional effort. We take this very serious. It's a profession to us, and so we think that. Um, Every bit of it should be executed in a way that maybe, like, it's like the duck swimming or whatever that analogy is. Like, you don't see all the hard work underneath, you know? It's, yeah. it's the idea behind the German brew house. If you look at it, you see just the brew house portion of it, and you don't see all the gross, nasty stuff underneath of it. You that All that's kind of hidden. And I like that. And I'll, you know, talk to brewers and stuff like that about, you know, how we make beer or whatever. But for the most part, I just... Hopefully people can tell the difference if they had two sitting in front of them. By the time they get to the second one, they like this one more. And not because they can necessarily put a tangible reason behind it. But it just, you know, the, the flavor is right. Like, you know, I mean, people can't necessarily tell the difference between two things until they have a lot of it. They can't tell why you like they like it more or less. And hopefully this beer will be, hey, you know what? We went there. I like that beer. Let's go have one another one of them. We'll have more of the conversation in just a brief moment, but first I wanted to thank this episode's sponsor, Cigar City Brewing. Their support helps keep the lights on here, and as you look towards spring, you should get Hunapu Day on your beer travel list. This year, it's March 13th, 2020 in Tampa, and you can learn more at cigarcitybrewing.com events. And now, back to my conversation with Ashley Carter and Bill I of Beerstadt Lagerhouse. When you opened up with the three... Has there been a change? Has there been a change in the way that you like? Every business evolves at some point, right? I mean, that's just sort of the nature of business. Uh, you know, it, it, especially in manufacturing, like you know, car manufacturers put out new cars. You know, the the bobblehead makers put out uh, bobbleheads. Uh, uh, you know, almost daily. You know, like you have to give people something new. Have has, is that a conversation that you've had yet? Where because at some point you're going to have people who have walked in and they're they're always going to be excited about going to slow pours. You know, they're always going to be excited about drinking the hells and, you know, but they might be curious that is the, the seasonals, does that hit the, the mark or. I think really actually deep down people don't want choice and they're more overwhelmed by it than they are excited by it for the most part. And I think by having a list that always changes, you, we've, you alienate some of the people that, honestly don't want to have to make those decisions you have to make decisions every day in your life like whether for better or for worse and all the things and maybe it's kind of nice to just 
reliably have the same thing. Uh, it was actually one of the best compliments I ever um, received was from Tommy Arthur and was sitting over at a table in the corner. and From the Lost Abbey. Yeah, yeah uh, and I went over there and he said, uh, you know, I had this beer before and I came back and I was worried that it wouldn't be the same as it was last time. You know, you have these experiences and you have them like chalked up in your head as oh man that was great or it was this or was that and he goes and I came back and it, and it was the same and I'm just like so pleased about that it being the same experience I mean we've all done that we've gone to a restaurant like oh this place is great and then yeah. you get there and you're like ah fuck <laughs> this place sucks now <laughs> like, yeah. and so hopefully that consistency is one of the reasons where people uh, want to come here also you know I do try to do a reasonable amount of collaborations um, and I think that kind of flexes some of that like if you had to call it creative idea but it still falls in line very much with our core beliefs and with the way we make beer and i like to see what lager and lager uh, yeast and can do and can be and i like to make some of those beers here uh right now in fact so we make bach beer meritson all those things like we have a, a hoppy lager on right now uh, we made a couple of those a rye one with called arms brewery some with comrade a couple with comrade uh we have a czech dark lager that we made with uh, Bagby in California that oh, we're going to release great. soon. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to pour some off the tank for you because it's not released yet. Okay. Um, so that's awesome. There's also, you know, some kind of out there things that Bill and I have done. We made this. We only did it because we want to. I never want to feel forced into making anything. So Bill and I got this wild hair up our ass and we're like, you know what? We already made Bach beer this year. I don't really feel like making Doppelbach. Let's make something else. So we basically made Meritzen. And then we used, what is it, reiterative mash, iteration mashing, whatever. I, the kids have a fancy word for it, I'm sure. Okay. Iteration mash. And we mashed in another Meritzen after we ran off. So we mashed into the wort. <laughs> okay. So we made like a 35 Play-Doh. Like, I don't even know. We just call it Big Fucking Lager or Nightmare Sauce or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It's <laughs> bananas um and we wanted to see honestly part of it was a lot of people are doing these like big mashes big beers whatever and they're adding enzymes and sugars and yeast nutrient and pitching champagne yeast or whatever it is they're doing and kind of our goal was to just use lager yeast super healthy uh pitch a shitload of it and see if lager yeast is up to the task of doing this so it's it's a learning thing as well as being kind of like a completely ill-advised idea you know, it took only like 27 hours or something like that. <laughs> it took forever. We got it. We're going to get like it 25 was a, it kegs was a day of it. Plus. Yeah, it was only going to get like 25, 25 kegs of it. Kegs yeah, okay. you know, we're cool too, guys. See? Sure. Um, <laughs> but it, Is there a special badge for it on Untapped? Not yet, because it's still, it's still okay. firm. It's, it's, still, <laughs> it's still going in there. That was funny. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, it's still going. It's still it. Okay. But we did it all with lager yeast, and it's now down to about ten Play-Doh, which makes it almost fifteen percent without the use of any of these things. And we didn't ferment it warm, and we we didn't you know we used all the lager techniques, so it still fits within the category of things that we believe, and we didn't have to stretch you know our core beliefs in order to justify making this beer. It actually fits perfectly in with you know how we like to make beer and who we are. And I think it's always important when we're doing these collaborations and doing, even if they're not, doesn't necessarily seem like us, they're all within, you know, this framework of lager and how we like to make beer. Yeah. You guys get approached a lot to do collaborations. I mean, like we seem, from my 
20,000 foot view or thereabouts. Uh, we saw a lot of collaborations early on in the industry or like maybe like early 2000s, mid 2000s, like that kind of thing. And then things started to get real uh, business wise and people kind of backed off of that a little bit. Um, I'm starting to see a, a few more of them these days. And, you know, I, I imagine a lot of the time it's just people who think that it's, you know, like I'm a cool brewery. You guys are a cool brewery. Let's do something cool. Um, you haven't done too many collaborations in the past. No. Uh, and it's very purposeful. Okay. Um, in fact, Bill accused me of like doing too many collaborations with my friends, but Uh-oh. that's because um, I don't believe in like collabing up. You know what I mean? Like, or like dating up or whatever it is. Okay. I think You're that using a collabor- all these kid terms. I know, man. Like I'm, I'm it's still like, a millennial, like, kind of. It's, it's like when one bobblehead really <laughs> likes another bobblehead. And, like yeah. So, <laughs> um, we, you know, I think a collaboration should be organic. It should be, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to, like, know that person really well, but it should be over beers and it should kind of touch on some things that you both believe in. And it shouldn't be a manufactured and I worry about that with this industry is that everything's so manufactured. Like, did you get an Instagram story about it? Like, half the time, I forget to even take a picture while we're doing it like because oh, yeah. we're having fun and hanging out and doing all the stuff and i think that the idea of like collabing up which i think a lot of people are doing they don't even actually i'm taking a picture right now i am taking a there picture you go. right now because i had to remember so this will be the one that uh all right. that goes out there perfect i get yeah, my beer fine. in there all right, yeah. in there. all right all right no keep talking all right is, well like, you know you want me to talk and like do the thing um i just think the idea of collabing up is um a weird one and i get i get why people are doing but it, it's just like pushes this hype train even more like what is it that made these two breweries like that was the idea of collaboration in the beginning is what do these breweries have in common sure like they're just like when you think about friends. the russian river avery it was collaboration yeah, not litigation like, it was yeah yeah there was a reason behind it and it wasn't just to say like how cool can we be or whose label can we put on our can or whatever it is like, I think collaboration should come from a mutual love and respect of the things that you get to do. And it should come out of a purely, like, I shouldn't put on my list, like, all right, collaboration with these five breweries this year. Like, it should just, it should happen. It should just be natural and it shouldn't be forced. And honestly, most of the time when we talk about collaboration or talk to people about collaboration, it's like a five minute conversation because you already kind of discuss what you wanted to do. You already kind of had the idea beforehand. That's how you started doing it. You're never starting from scratch. And you're like, hey, yeah, let's meet for a collaboration, a.k.a. let's drink 10 beers and talk about whatever else. We yeah. Like, yeah, we were sitting in Prague with Jeff Bagby earlier this year. We're like drinking Ufleku beer, at Ufleku. And we got back and I was like, hey, you want to make a collaboration? He's like, yeah. I was like, let's make Czech Dark Lager. Sounds great. And like, that's how it happened. That's and awesome. that's how the best collaborations, in my opinion, happen because they're, they're natural, they're real. And you can be assured here that every collaboration we do is not just because you know we thought it would be cool but we're doing it because we respect the people we do it with and we can learn some things ideally in a collaboration from people what are you guys still excited about learning like where's the what's the book on the nightstand right now what's the website resource you're going to like where where's your next avenue of of education bringing you I find the question interesting. Uh, I was thinking about that when you were talking about uh, how do you keep somebody excited? How do you somebody already have the slow pour? So yeah, the next time they're in here, you know, what what is there to look forward to? 
So I guess I'm going to lump those two together and, and, and look at iconic businesses and places like, like, say, Peter Luger in New York. No one asks Peter Luger in New York, what's the new state coming out? When are you going to mix it up? When are you going to change know, it up? After the Times review from a couple of weeks ago, that's probably not the best example. Like, well, but no, like, it was, way, it was, a, yeah, couple, it was a couple yeah. months ago, yeah. and that, that review has <laughs> been... Well, anyway, what I'm trying to say is there are iconic places and iconic things that don't need to change. This need to change and innovate is healthy, but it's fairly typically American. No one asks Augustiner when they're going to come out with their next weird beer release or what do they have left to learn in the beer industry. Uh, they are happy where they're at and they are crushing it and they don't really care as the market trends go forward and go back. Now, that may be a recipe for doom. I guess you could certainly get run over if you won't innovate at all. Sure. But for a minute. Um, or if consumer I, taste change. I mean, they, they have to worry about payroll every two weeks like I, you do as well. Well, without a doubt, if consumer taste change, we're all screwed uh, <laughs> of what we're doing. But I, I'm going to bank on the fact that lager's been king for about 150 years. So I think it'll be even on the decline. I don't think I'll live to see it. One of the things that I'm... I'm to talk about slow pour, because I, I do think everybody who comes here, like, it, it, is it usually the first thing that they order? Is there? Do you guys have numbers on something like that? Is that like a... I mean, we, we sell number-wise more slow pours than Hellas, and volume-wise we sell more Hellas than slow pour. It's in a bigger, but, but that's a bigger a, vessel. Okay. Um, we are known for slow pour, which always it's kind of amazing because... I know if you take a trip to Europe, there isn't any other way to get pills but slow pour. Like, yeah. we didn't invent or innovate, innovate anything. We were the first in the United States to decide we're going to do this. We're going to do this every time, and we aren't going to compromise on that. And lately, we've had to write polite letters to people saying we are very happy with the fact that you're pouring your beer slowly and, and the presentation matters to you. But we have the name. We are slow pour pills. Are you, so, the, so that's actually the name of the beer. That's it the is. name of the beer. It is not the process. Yeah, okay, I mean, it look, is. Yeah, if you look on the keg collar, if you look everywhere, that is the name of the beer. We've sold it in this country, outside this country, as slow pour pills. It is our name, and we will fiercely defend the name. We do love it when people go back to their brewery. Maybe we're inspired by what they saw and decide to repeat it. We love that. If you have your Whatever pills that you slowly pour or yeah. that is slow poured, absolutely fine. The minute you say, our slow pour X pills, we, we, and everybody's been great. Okay. We've reached out to everybody who did that. Who you found. Yeah. Almost no one realized that was the actual name I, of the beer. I actually didn't either. Until I, right I, now. I always just thought that it was like Beer Stop Pilsner and that, that, that was just the method. The name of the beer is Slow Pour Pills. Okay. Well, and smart so, on you guys, first well, of all. we didn't but know like, it was yeah. smart at the time. In fact, <laughs> there was a lot of argument between us about, are we really going to make our bartenders do this for every beer? And we hashed it out and decided it was worth doing. So, But there's something about the anticipation and the theater and the... Uh, I guess, yeah, just those two things, sort of. It, it's the it's the experience of watching them, uh, you know, watching them be made. But then also, we're so accustomed in bar service, at least, of I order a beer. If it's not busy right now, I should have this in front of me in 10 to 25 seconds or thereabouts. People underestimate how much they love being told no. <laughs> They actually do. They hate choice. They love being told they no. They love being told like, no. Can I get that right now? Around the bill, a little according bit. to Bill, I love yeah. this. This is uh, yeah. This is going to be like a special episode right yeah. here. It's uh, um, 
yeah, I mean, the waiting for it, you know, it's not a gimmick to us. I know some people, I, I you know, never read the comments, but I always do. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, it's such a gimmick and, you know, you don't have to do that and blah, blah, blah. No, you don't have to do that or whatever. But that's just how I'd like it. Like, at the end of the day, how do I want my beer served? That's how I want my beer served to me, my pills. And why shouldn't I give people here, and I've said this before, why don't I give people here the experience that I want to have? I'm, you know, we're the brewers. We are the people who make the beer. We came up with this thing. And why wouldn't I want to give my customers the experience that I want to have? And I think that that's, you know, if you want to call that a gimmick or whatever, like, that's totally fine. Like, it's not for you. Don't order it. Like, don't care. We do it that way because that's how I want my beer to come to me. And so you should feel lucky that I want you to have the same experience that I have, that I don't hold those those little moments for myself, that I want everybody to experience it in the beer the way that I think it is designed to be drank. And, you know, it's purposely designed to be drank that way and be poured that way. And it's very deliberate and not just a gimmick in a way for people to, you know, before you're no slow pour wasn't a thing before it was a thing. I guess. Sure. And now it's a thing, I guess, which is pretty cool, actually. I mean, I I think it's one of the great things that exists in beer right now. Like, I think that everybody should experience it once and then, you know, for the experience of it, and then just keep drinking it because, well, you should, because it, it's, it, it, it's that good. But this is, I mean, this, this particular beer at this particular place is, I think, on the beer bucket list of, 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 of what people should do. Yeah, thank you for that. For the seasonals that you're doing for the the ones that you come up with now and again are there I mean there's a lot of lager styles that have been lost to history there's a lot of lager styles that uh, are not in vogue um, just mainly I guess because people aren't making them you know right now are there ones that you you guys want to be fooling around with and try to not necessarily bring back but just put on tap at some point is there a is there like a secret like list somewhere of one of these days we're going to make this kind of lager? Uh, I always kind of put those kind of like, first of all, they probably died because they sucked. Um, okay. Sometimes, but history, didn't sometimes history doesn't get it wrong, you know, <laughs> like sometimes the, the, the strong survive. But, um, you know, there's like, you know, Vienna lager is not really a thing per se. And like this, there's like red Nuremberg lager, whatever. Like I kind of always put some of those things in my back pocket for like a collab because they don't really like, interest me that much but you know i could see like as a collaboration to somebody who is interested in it like how how much how fun that could be especially making it here yeah um honestly making pills and hollis is is at our is at our core the thing that i just want to be doing and you know we make dunkel and i think dunkel is great and i love when bach beers on and meritson season is you know one of the best days on the planet when we're just drinking meritson all the time but at the end of the day, you know, pills and hellas over and over and over again, consistently as possible, the smallest tweaks here and there. Like that's really what excites me is being able to make that beer like as perfect as it can be in that moment, you know, when you're sitting down and drinking it. And you know, half the time we hate the beer, of course, because who doesn't, you know, when they're making their own thing and you're highly critical of it. But sometimes you sit down and just have it and you're like, you know what, that's pretty good. Like I'm pretty pumped about what we're doing here and all that work that we're doing like pays off those 30 hour brew days. They pay off like because the beer tastes the way it does. And so, no, I'm not really, you know, trying to bring back some style. I mean, I can't even get people to drink smoke beer and that's like a real thing. I know. 
Uh, you need to go out to Dovetail. I know. I was, I was, I was hoping it was yeah. a whole podcast on Rauch beer, by the way, and it wasn't. I was very disappointed uh, after after listening to the whole thing. Uh, this Week in Rauch Beer is honestly the, the internet's most popular beer podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. This Week in Rauch Beer. Yeah. Still, very nobody nice. drinks it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here's Bart Watson with the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, I think if we do this every time you do podcasts, yeah, we I, could be getting at we least can start to, we yeah. could get three more people to come in here and drink it. <laughs> I'd love to see more of that, though. Yeah, a different three, not just just the the same three. three. So where's the future? No one knows. Yeah? No one knows. Okay. This is an industry in flux. I don't think, if anybody really had a good grasp on it, I think, I don't know, I just don't think anybody knows. And I think we're wrong to worry about it. How so? You should do what you do and let the chips fall where they may. And, And as soon as you start trying to anticipate or trying to chase I think you give up something of what you are and I think people buy what you believe and what you feel and what and and what you think not what you make I think when you align people when you align with people that think the way you think they they like your business and they like what you make and when you are trying to guess where the market will go or trying to anticipate a new trend you give up on the people who believe the things you believe and you go with the people who are like tumbleweeds. They just go from one trend to the next. Is it the same people that were drinking Belgian IPA? Or are they now drinking milkshake IPA? And next week they'll be drinking whatever the hell somebody dreams up. Gummy bear saison. Whatever. The, I mean, I I just don't know. Right now there's by people chasing, trademarking that. Yeah. I mean, if it's if if you're only if you're only if you have no foundation other than I'm chasing the latest thing. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll outlast people that are sticking to their guns. I don't know. How would you like to be? I have a friend that makes, I think, the finest cask beer in North America at Hogshead. How many cask beer drinkers remain? True. It becomes tough to stick to your guns, but if you're doing it and you believe in it and you do it well, I think you will find the audience that you need to find. We're so small. We make 2,000 barrels a year. We don't have to appeal to 90 percent of the people out there and Hazard Bush has to appeal to 90 percent of the people out there yeah all we have to do is sell a little bit of beer in our neighborhood a little bit of beer in our tap room and so we have the freedom to not chase anything yeah I mean where it's going I mean if, if where it's going means that Bill and I have to fundamentally change what we believe then I, I guess I'd kind of just rather not go you'd walk there. away yeah I mean this is yeah, you just not, you know, like it's just, yeah. we just this is the thing that we love to do this is how you know we love to do it I don't want to do it any other way and people will say that that's dumb or like it's not smart and you got to do whatever the consumer wants and blah 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 and I, I just I'm gonna have to disagree with that I mean I think maybe if you don't have a leg to stand on anyways then sure yeah do whatever the, co- the consumer wants you can't just make your favorite beer I hear this all the time when I hear people being interviewed you can't just make your favorite beer you have to do whatever and I never want to feel like in this place that we own that our blood sweat and tears are in that like that we have to do something I think one of the weirdest things in this industry currently is people looking across their bar and resenting the people drinking the beer that they never wanted to make and I never want to feel that way I don't want somebody to be sitting across the bar and drinking a beer that that I never wanted to make and resenting them just because they need customers or just because they think they need to do it or they have to do it like you're married you know you're you know people have been in relationships every time you start to just concede just to concede 
It, it fundamentally changes the foundation of what you're doing. And it fundamentally makes you at some point not believe in who you are or what you even thought. And it makes you become, we're salty and sour and curmudgeon-y or whatever. We are those people. But at the same time, when I wake up, I go make beer that I want to make. I come here. I see people drink it the way I want it to be presented. And that, that is fulfilling to me. That is a, that I know I can go to sleep knowing that even if we don't pay those bills or don't do this or, you know, somebody, you know, things aren't great all around that those things are, are things that we believe in and that we can rest our values on and know that I'm happy when somebody orders a beer and happy when they order another one. I got nothing else. I mean, it's, I, we, I, I want to keep drinking with you guys, yeah, but I well, mean, but that, no, that, I think that's a great place to leave it though, because I, I think it's, it's food for thought for people, hands down. I mean, you know, we can, we can wax all day. Yeah, well. Bill's got a lot of platforms he's on right now. <laughs> bobbles? I don't even know what that means. I'm going to have to Google. We're going to, let, let's go get another beer and we'll up. talk about you it on Bobbles. definitely look it up. It's. Bill, Asher, thanks so much for sitting down. I really appreciate it. This is this is a lot of fun. Ah, thank you. It's always a pleasure, John. Thanks, John. That's Ashley Carter and Bill I of Beerstadt Lager House. By the way, this show is about ten slow pours pills long. Greatness takes time. Uh, pro tip is to order your next one when a fresh glass hits the table. This show is also now about two months old, and we're gaining new listeners each week. If you've been listening from the start, I hope you've enjoyed each one. Doing the show is great fun for me, and your feedback and support is greatly appreciated. Subscribing and even leaving a review on your podcast platform goes a long way to help other people find the show. If you like what you hear, you have suggestions, you want to tell me about someone you think I should get on mic, drop me a note at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or join me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, Andy Crouch is threatening to launch a podcast of his own one of these days. And if you want to learn more about advertising on this show and other Beer Edge products, drop Ryan Newhouse a note at ryan at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, this episode was sponsored by Cigar City Brewing. Punapu Day is coming up on March 13th, 2020 at the Amelie Arena in Tampa. You should join a few thousand fellow beer drinkers to enjoy Imperial Stouts, talk directly to the brewers, and be the envy of your beer friends. With more than 100 breweries in attendance, it's a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. The festival should be on every beer bucket list, and if you go once, there's a good chance you'll likely return year after year like I do. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com slash events. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. A subscription to Beer Edge provides readers with smart and critical insights into the business and culture of beer. We talk directly to the players making an impact and report stories our audience has not heard before. The team at Beer Edge offers up a fresh and unfiltered look at the world of beer. Subscribe at BeerEdge.com. And that's it. That's the show for this week. Next week, I'm going to escape the cold of the Northeast and head back down south to talk about wild and sour beers with a brewer who really knows his stuff. I'm John Hall, and I hope you'll listen in to that as we drink beer and think beer. Cheers. Cheers.